All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm uh, Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are just thrilled that you've come. And as you can tell, there are, if, you're, if you're interested in growing in Christ in some kind of way, there's a lot of opportunities around here. So we hope you can uh, get in on that. Uh, we're going to dismiss our kids now that are fifth grade and under to go to Promised Land with their uh, teachers and workers. So, kids, we're going to let you go to your session. You'll be in for a great time. For those of you that stay with me, you can get your Bible and find the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth, uh, the fourth chapter, the Gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter. And in just a minute, we're going to read some verses there together as we continue looking for good news in kind of bad news days, looking for good news in bad news days. Um, while you're finding that, let me just mention to you, last week we gave you the opportunity to make a contribution to the uh, recovery efforts in Haiti, uh, if you were so interested, via our partnership with the International Mission Board. And uh, some of you were not prepared to do that, uh, and maybe you're prepared to do that today or next Sunday. Either way is fine, but let me just give you a quick word of instruction about that. If you wanted to make a contribution to the recovery effort in Haiti through our International Mission Board, that uh, 100% of every dollar given goes to the field and to disaster relief and to long-term recovery efforts, then uh, you can simply uh, make a check today to Meadowbrook and put in the memo section, Haitian or Haiti relief, and that'll get to the right place. You go, well, I was going to give a cash gift. How can I do that? We have envelopes over here on the table. And uh, who was our greeter today? Can you guys help us? If anybody needs an envelope, one of uh, these guys will hand one out to you. And if you need a Bible, I see a bunch of them over there. Hold up your hand. They'll give you a Bible or an envelope. But in, in the envelope, just write on there, Haiti, and whatever cash gift you do. A little bit later, uh, we'll be receiving that offering, and that will get to the right place. Uh, I know you've had a lot of giving opportunities, and that's fantastic. There's a lot of worthy uh, avenues to do your charitable giving out there. Uh, and they all address some different aspect of the uh, relief effort in Haiti, and uh, just say, God bless you for your generosity and for your gifts to make a difference in such a difficult place, in such a difficult day. In a few minutes, we're going to be receiving the Lord's Supper together, and so let me just encourage you to take these next few minutes to prepare your heart, because the admonition of the Scriptures is that we should not receive the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That is to say, there should not be some practice of sin, some habitual experience that is contrary to the person of God. So you'll want to take these few moments to do a little confession in your life, a little repentance in your life, turning your heart more fully to the Lord. And uh, it's my hope that the talk we're going to do over these next few minutes is going to help you with that also. And then we will be receiving the Lord's Supper together. Well, there have been a lot of uh, images that have come our way this week out of Haiti and the continued coverage of the disaster and the plight of uh, people that have been so ravaged there. One of my favorite photos that came out of the week is this one where a little boy had uh, been trapped for some period of time and he was finally rescued. And when he came up, man, he was just celebratory you know it's for me it's almost a thank you jesus kind of look there that uh, he had in fact been rescued and been delivered and of course that's such good news to us 
because it's couched in so much bad news. Because as you've continued to see the story, you know that the death toll is somewhere around the 150,000 mark. It's hard for them to really keep count because of the way they're burying the bodies. I know you've been following that. And, uh, probably 70,000 have already been buried in these mass graves uh, that are very disturbing, not only to us, but especially to the people that live there. And they're not having opportunity to grieve and to have the kind of mourning and farewell to their loved ones that uh, is a part of their experience and part of their history. It's a very, very difficult time. I was in a breakfast meeting this past week, and uh, I do this every week. There's about 30-something people that gather, and when I walked in the door to this breakfast room, my eye immediately caught a guy that was all the way on the other side of the room, and his eye caught me, and when he saw me walk in the door, he just made a beeline right for me. And in less than 30 seconds of having walked into the room, this friend of mine says to me in a rather animated way, how can God allow all this that's been transpiring in Haiti to take place? Now, there was chatter going on all around the room until that moment. And for whatever reason, everybody decided to quit talking at the same time, except for my friend. And so the entire room heard this anguished question. And, you know, you could kind of feel, feel the ears all turning. And uh, so I replied and said, well, that's a very hard question. Uh, what's stirring that in you right now? And he said, well, I was just watching on television last night. And they kept showing all this stuff out of Haiti. And everybody that was on the program kept asking that question. Why would God allow this to happen? What is God doing? What is this? And at that point, some people that were already in the breakfast bar line began to come over to where we were to listen. What would you say in that moment? You may have had that moment this week. I don't know. But if you know me and if you were here last week, then you probably have some idea of how I responded to that. Keeping in mind that when people ask such questions, you typically have 90 seconds to respond, right? They're not going to listen to a 10-minute dissertation about theology or philosophy or anything else. And so I basically said in as quick a method as I could, well, it is awful and it's, it's awful to God. But the fact of the matter is, ever since the fall of humanity that Genesis 3 talks about, this has been a broken busted world filled with broken busted people and this stuff has always been going on ever since creation got busted i said really the remarkable thing is how come this doesn't happen all the time everywhere to all of us how is it that any of us ever get spared these kinds of things is really the wondrous question and to that he said well, then what hope of redemption do we have? And I said, well, that's kind of what the whole story about Jesus and his coming to redeem us is all about. 
And with that, everybody walked away. <laughs> Breakfast line started up again. Everybody, you know. Is the conversation over? I don't think so. You see, um, that conversation has been echoing around in my own head and in my own heart for the last few days. I'm sure it has with that room full of friends. Here's the deal, friends. Things about God and things about life are not simple ABC, one, two, three, black and white issues. They can be very complex. They can be very hard to grasp. They can be very mysterious. And it just so happens we live in a microwavable age where we want everything instantaneously. You know, I sit in my den to watch television now with my laptop almost always on and in reach. And anytime I see something on television that I didn't know or I don't know the whole story of, like, who is that actor? I don't, I don't recall what else that actor has been in. I just reach for my laptop and Google that actor's name, and I've got this whole history on that person. Or if somebody uses a word in the, in the course of a show that I, I've never heard that word, I just hit the dictionary, and there I am. I've got a full you know, connotation of what that word can and does mean. And I do that all the time. Instant information. Instant answers. And it just doesn't always happen that way. With God. In fact, the scriptures are filled, especially the book of Psalms, with a phrase that is similar to what you see in Psalm 1-2, where men and women of God through the ages have always had this practice, that on His law, on His words, He meditates both day and night. See, the idea is that for the God-following person who gets it that life is not always black and white and can be very complex and complicated, he meditates, he thinks on, he reflects on the words and the ways of God all day, every day, through the night, pondering what do these things mean? What might God be up to? It's not unlike uh, my little dog every now and then gets a, a chew toy. And the minute, you know, she gets that little chew toy, she is gnawing on that and gnawing on She gnaws on that thing all day. If it lasts, she'll gnaw on it all day the next day. And that's kind of what we need to do with Scripture. Just kind of gnaw on it, chew on it, savor it, meditate on it. And you go... I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to think about anything that hard. Life is busy. Life is full. Life is pressured. Life has got all this stuff to it. Just, just give me an answer. And friends, it just it won't work that way. It just doesn't. Now, take Jesus, for example. And I'm not going to turn there, but if you'd like to turn there and look at it, you can see it. In Luke 13, 
there's an occasion where a bunch of people run up to Jesus and they're all animated and amped up and confused because it seems that Pilate, the governor, had killed a bunch of Galileans and taken their blood and mixed it with the sacrifice and offering in worship. And these guys were all amped up about it and all confused. And they run up to Jesus and say, what is this? How could this happen? Pilate takes these Galileans and kills them and takes their blood and puts it into a worship offering. What is that? And Jesus responded. So what do you think about those Galileans? Do you think they were worse than some of you or some other Galileans? I tell you, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, did he answer that question? He gave them more to ponder, more to think about. And basically gave the only one clear thing that you can get right now, and that's this, repent. Whatever you can or cannot make of all the circumstances going on around here right now, use this occasion to repent, to ready your heart for the person of God, for the coming of God. And then he goes on to say, by the way, I know you probably saw it in the news. You remember when several, like 18, were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think... That they were more sinful than anybody else in Jerusalem? And he answers his own rhetorical question by saying, I tell you, repent. Prepare for the kingdom of heaven that is at hand. That's near. So, friends, even when you come to the person of Jesus, he's not giving quick, glib, fill-in-the-blank acrostics and everything else that you know we sometimes do around here to try to make it a little more palatable. He basically gives you more to ponder, more to meditate upon, more to reflect upon with an invitation to repent and to bet your life on Him. Which leads me to clarify, I hope, that faith is not getting answers to every question. Faith is getting sufficient evidence that warrants you betting your life on God. Do you have enough evidence that says, God, I don't understand everything, but God is good. God holds life. I'm going to bet my life on Him. That's faith. Which brings us to our story today. Because what we're going to do in these next few minutes is we're just going to give you more to ponder, more to reflect on, more to think about, more that can uh, disclose and reveal the person of God to you so that you can continue to build evidence in your heart. He's worth following. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And uh, here's what we've been doing for these weeks. We've been on a good news hunt, right? 
And so every week we have been saying, how much good news can I see in this text? Because I need good news in this bad news day. And uh, if you have that connection card that we referenced earlier, you note on the back side there's a little space that says, I shared good news this week, and there's a little blank. I asked you to check that last week if you had shared good news with somebody. Uh, And if it was more than one, I asked you to write a number in there. Last week, you guys shared 44 bits of good news through the week. I think that's pretty cool. And so I'm going to ask you to do the same thing today. I'm going to ask you to listen to what God might say to you through the Scriptures. Take note. Even write it on a piece of paper. I think that's good news. And then if uh, you're willing, God's going to give you opportunity in the coming days to share that one bit of good news with one person. So I'm going to be saying more about that in a minute. But uh, if you shared good news this past week, these past seven days, would you just take that moment right now and on that connection card, put a check if you did that one time? If you did it more than once, just write the number down. I did it three times. I did it five times. Whatever. Because we're, as I said last time, we're just going to kind of keep a record. How much good news can God use us to speak into our community during these bad news days? Okay, will you do that? Uh, It's a blessing to me. It's fun to me. I hope you'll find it the same way. Okay, here we are in Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. Uh, Last time we were into the temptations that Jesus had prevailed over. And today we see how the purposes of God are always at work in the life of Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse 12. So when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison... Talking about John the Baptist. He returned to Galilee. You remember he'd been down at the Jordan River where he just got baptized. So he returned to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned, end quote, from Isaiah. From that time on, Jesus began to preach kind of a repetitive, redundant message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 18. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. Keep your Bible open because we're going to talk about those verses for just a minute. What do you see taking place in this text? Let me, I'm just going to highlight three things for you. And the first is this. Following God does not insulate us from life's hardships. 
That's huge. That's so important for us to get. Following God does not insulate us from life's hardships. So it's not long after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River that he leaves there and he goes back into the Galilean region and onto Nazareth and he discovers that John has been arrested. Now, if you're a typical onlooker uh, who is a kind of average practice particular practitioner of uh, Jewish faith, you're looking at that and you're scratching your head and you're going, what happened there? How is it that John, who we thought was a holy man, who we thought might be a prophet, who we thought might be a spokesperson for God, how is it that he would get arrested? That's not supposed to happen to God followers. How is it that he goes to jail? And of course, you know the rest of the story that will happen in just a few pages. He gets killed. He gets beheaded. And so the point is this, friends, following God and being faithful and being obedient in your following of God does not insulate you from society turning on you, from natural disasters befalling you, to diseases plaguing you. It doesn't insulate us from any of those kinds of things. Second thing I want you to see in the text is this. Following God always involves purpose. Always. I don't use that word lightly. So as we're looking through the text, look at it. We see that Jesus goes here. Jesus goes there. Jesus goes to another place. And the writer of the scriptures tells us none of that's accidental. None of that's incidental. None of that is meaningless. In fact, it was prophesied 700 years ago by Isaiah that he would, in fact, go to these places. God had given Isaiah a glimpse 700 years earlier that Jesus would, in fact, the Messiah would, in fact, go to these places. And it just so happens that in Capernaum, he runs into Peter and Andrew and James and John, who kind of become the core of the discipleship group. Nothing accidental about that, friends. Nothing incidental about that. Before they were born, before they were conceived, you follow me? God had plans for Peter and Andrew, James and John. And God had foreseen and determined that as the Christ, the Messiah, they would meet up at Capernaum and Jesus would issue a call to them to follow him. Everything has purpose. Friends, if you are a follower of Christ, then it is incumbent upon you to discern the movings of God so that you're going where He goes. That's what it means to follow Him. Now, I uh, wrote a little piece this past week, some of you read. Uh, about uh, what's the, the phenomenon that took place with Twitter this past week. How many of you are on Twitter? Anybody in here? You won't even admit. Okay. It's like six or seven of you and the rest of you are like, no, I'm not telling anybody. So uh, Bill Gates got on Twitter. Yay. 
there have been a lot of fake Bill Gates, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and all these other social, but the real Bill Gates got on, and on that first day that he was on Twitter, he was getting, I mean, the meter was going crazy, a thousand followers a minute, and it later slowed down to a hundred followers a minute. Now, for those of you that are literally not into Twitter, the, the whole deal is you do these little micro posts that people can follow via their phone or their computer, mostly their phone. And at any given point, uh, you know, Bill can give some word of profundity or tell you what he's having for lunch or how the last meeting went or here's the release of the new, newest next product or whatever. So those kinds of things can happen on Twitter. And basically the experience is, is what? It's observation. You just kind of get to see... Oh, this is what the guy's doing. And right before our eyes, we're seeing follower being redefined. Because, in fact, a follower of God doesn't not just observe what God is doing or what God is saying or what God is up to. We actually follow by going after him and doing what he does. That's what Jesus said his life had been all about in John chapter 5. He said, I just go and I just do what I see and sense the Father doing. And that's what it means to follow him. And so when you follow Christ, he definitely has an interest in where you live. It matters to him what neighborhood you buy a home in or what complex you uh, rent an apartment in. You don't do that. Just by random or price uh, checking or I like this neighbor. It's not about you. If you are a follower of God, it's all about him and his purposes. It all matters. You better believe it matters to him where you work. You don't take a job by what benefits and salary package they give you or don't. You only take jobs. As you sense God directing and leading you. Because he has purposes for all those things. I had been involved in a community organization for over 19 years. You think I was solidified in that group? Absolutely. But I sensed God saying, you know, I want you to leave that group now. And I want you to get involved in this other community group. Yeah, I want you to leave what's comfortable and what you already know. And I want you to go make a whole bunch of new relationships. You think that mattered to God? You think there was something up to him guiding me in that kind of way? The conversation I told you about that happened two or three days ago happened in that new context that I wasn't even a part of a year ago. Nothing is incidental or accidental with God. It always involves purpose. It matters who you date. Who you're going to marry. If or when you have children. What becomes your social circle. If and where your kids play in sports. All those things matter. And I'm not trying to get you all uptight. And I can't even make a move without God bringing some kind of divine revelation to me. You see, it's all relational. The more you get to know him, the more you just 
kind of do life with him in this kind of flowing day by day way. It's not this uptight experience of plumbing the mysteries that you can't ever get an answer for. Then the third thing I want you to see out of the text is that following God is not for spectators. You're not just going to watch these things take place. You're going to do. So when Jesus leads us into various arenas, he uses your hands to touch and encourage somebody. He uses your eyes to convey compassion and care. He uses your mouth to bring encouragement and hope and truth. He uses your money to meet needs. He uses your capacity to move about to take his presence in a manifest way from point to point. So, friend, if you're looking for something that you can follow vicariously, just kind of voyeuristically watch it take place, then the Christian faith is not for you. Because this is something that is dangerous and risky. You don't get insulated from life's hardships. It's something that is purpose-packed, so you don't do anything by random. And it's not a spectator sport, man. You're engaged. You're in the game. You make a difference. Now, I think we talked about a little good news over these last few minutes. So... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take just a minute to do what we did the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to see what good news you got. But now, some of you ha- have been playing well, and you get it really quick. And so I'm, if you've spoken the last couple of weeks, I'm going to ask that you hold your tongue for just a couple of minutes. And some others that haven't played yet because they, you know, a little slower to come around to some of this. I'm gonna, I want them to play this week, all right? So who got some good news, and you're willing to take a minute Okay, what'd you get? There's some really hard things that I don't understand, and God doesn't expect me to understand all of them. Good, thank you. That's, that's good to figure that out. Good news to know that. Somebody else? Okay. Faith is getting sufficient evidence to bet your life on God. Faith is getting sufficient evidence to bet your life on God. Good, good. Is there somebody up here? Somebody just pointed up here. Okay, Dave. There's a purpose to everything, even when we don't see it. Purpose to everything, even when we don't see it. It's important to know. It's good to know. I uh, wrote down that I uh, always involve purpose and discern prayer, discern the of God. All right. Use prayer to discern His moving. Get at the purpose. Thank you. Okay. Um, was it last week or week before when you asked us what we got from a message and? I said something about baptism. Mm-hmm. And said, whatever you may have said is trying to come up with me. And I'm like, well, and it happened. Okay. So something we actually talked about in here was relevant to your week later. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hardships now can make us better later. Hardships now can make us better later. They can also destroy us. They can break us. 
But if we are in God's hand about it, they can build us. And it's a powerful deal. Did I see somebody else over here? Over here? Okay, one more. He uses ordinary people to accomplish his purpose. He uses ordinary people to accomplish his purpose. No superstar stuff needed, just ordinary people. I really love that. Thank you. Okay, let me just, uh, I think you've already said them all. Let me just highlight a couple of things. Our suffering is never wasted. That's good news. Now, you have to be careful about your suffering. Uh, If you turn your suffering into kind of this whining, why me kind of scenario, seeking for, you know, pity and all these kinds of things, uh, you're endangering the worth of your suffering. But if you see that God out of his sovereignty and out of his love and, and out of his grace is allowing certain hardships to come your way so that in it, You can glorify Him. You can exalt Him. You can allow uh, your life to be a point that draws others to Him. None of your suffering will ever be wasted. I find that incredibly good news. Because if we're in a broken, busted world, we're going to go through some hard stuff anyway. I just assume my hard stuff have eternal purposes behind it. Another piece of good news is that God makes our lives full of purpose. All of you almost said that. There is nothing meaningless, incidental in your life. It all matters. It all counts. And Christ followers make a difference. Isn't that great news? You're not here just to take up space. You're here with significance that counts for all eternity. God is going to do some things in you and through you that would not have happened some other way. I think it's awesome good news. All right. Now, we're going to turn our attention to the Lord's table. And we're going to experience the Lord's Supper in ways that we usually experience it. It's a time to commemorate, remember what Jesus has done for us. And it's a time to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. But it's also a point at which we consecrate ourselves to his purposes. So, friend, I'm going to encourage you to partake of the Lord's Supper today in such a way that you fulfill the command of Christ. He says what? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. So if you have been doing the Lone Ranger thing, if you've been making career decisions, home decisions, family decisions, financial decisions, relationship decisions, whatever, if you've been doing that without consulting, praying, discerning, doing it with Christ, then repent. The invitation of Jesus is not to a religious life. A moral life. The invitation of Jesus is to a partnered life. Doing life with Him. And by Him. And so today's receiving of these elements is a statement on your part to say, 
I will unashamedly and without hesitation do life with Jesus. And not on my own and not as it seems best to me. And so if that's your heart today, you've been uh, kind of clearing up whatever interference has been between you and God, maybe some kind of habit, some kind of thought process in life and all that, uh, and now you're ready to receive these elements, then that's the final piece I want to put there before you. As I receive the bread and as I receive the cup, I do so with a fresh declaration. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. I only do life with him. And if that's where you are, then you're welcome to receive these elements today. I'm going to invite those that are serving with me today to come and join me. Now, they're going to come down the aisle and serve you first the bread. And uh, when you receive bread, I'm going to ask that you hold the bread until everyone has been served. And then I will lead us in receiving and consuming the bread at the same time. All right?
night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, remember me. same night in which our Lord was betrayed, he then took the cup and holding it before his brethren, he said to them, this is my blood, which will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. 
Take it. Drink. Remember me. Amen. Amen. Well, let me uh, conclude some of the thoughts that I gave you just a moment ago in this kind of way. How do you respond? If you haven't already, will you repent and turn to Christ? Maybe you had to be honest in these past few moments and you go, you know, I really haven't settled that with Christ. You took a pass on the Lord's Supper because that hasn't become your reality yet. And on the back side of that connection card I keep referencing, in the upper left-hand corner, there's a little blank that says, I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Check that. And I will be pleased to follow up with you, have a conversation or send you some material, whatever you want. Will you repent? And follow him. And then the second, will you consecrate every aspect of your life to his purposes? Now, basically, if you just took the Lord's Supper, you said, yes, I will consecrate myself. I will begin to do life with him in a way that includes him on every aspect and all, even the minutia. And then finally, will you repeat one bit of good news that you got today? To at least one person in the coming week. Would you do that? His ambassador, just uh, in the course of the traffic of the week, you'll have that opportunity. And will you be faithful to that? Did you mark on your card today how many uh, bits of good news you got to share? That would be great for us to see. This is also the time when we worship the Lord with our tithes and our other offerings and gifts. So our ushers will come to receive that from us and your connection card. Father, we bless you now in giving to you, confessing we've been greatly blessed to receive from you. Amen.